I think quite the reverse. The physicality of the NBA has soared since my era. My, my era of basketball used to be known as a non-contact sport. <laughs> Today I am joined by my dad, a seasoned NBA fan, and we're going to get into a whole bunch of interesting topics comparing this past decade to previous decades in NBA history. We're going to look at statistical trends that have occurred throughout NBA history, and we're going to talk about which aspects of the league have gotten better or worse in the last 10 years. But I just want to start off um, with a simple question. The 2010s were the NBA decade of my youth. Dad, you're 40 years older, so the 1970s were the NBA decade of your youth. Looking back on that decade, what is your general impression of that time period in the league? First, as a Knicks fan, I think of the Knicks. So the Knicks were great in the 70s. They might even have been the dominant team in the 70s, winning two championships. And then the Knicks had this great rivalry with the Celtics, who were the other team that won two championships in the 70s. So that... uh, that situation has clearly changed for the worse for a New York fan. The other characteristic of the 70s that I think of was the dominance of the centers. Had All of the key players, not all the key players, but most of the key players were centers. Jabbar, Chamberlain, Reed on the Knicks, Unseld on the then Bullets. And and the other, the other point about the 70s is that it didn't have a transcendent player. Uh, the way, say, LeBron dominates the teens of this uh, century. Jabbar certainly was potentially a transcendent player, but he won one championship in that 10 years and only when Oscar Robertson joined him on Milwaukee. And then he didn't win in L.A. until Magic joined him in L.A. So I think he was not the kind of transcendent player like a Jordan or LeBron in the the league, therefore, had a lot more parity than it has today. Going back to the point you made about centers, which I think is interesting because it's really clear that people in the 70s just loved their centers. I mean, I think Dave Cowens won an MVP on the Celtics when possibly Havlicek was the best player on that team. So people just, they love their centers. They love giving out awards to centers. Um, and I think some of that mindset is a little bit persisted today and that people see a dominant center and they get all excited. Well, I think the, the, the funniest and, and maybe most obvious way it persists today is the weighting of the draft picks to people over 6'11". The worst draft picks of the last 20 years have been top one or two or three picks who were over 6'11 as centers and turned out to be absolutely useless. Darko, the beat. <laughs> Odin. I mean, it, yeah. people still think that you can't teach height, and so if someone is over 6'11", he deserves a first, second, third pick if he can handle a basketball, and that probably was never so, and certainly is not so today with the changes that I hope we'll talk about a little yeah. bit in the NBA. I think even even last draft, um, or I guess two drafts ago, DeAndre Ayton going number one overall is a pretty good example where the Suns kind of get off the hook for passing on Doncic because, ooh, Aiton, he's a generational big man. And I think the teams kind of just have to wake up and realize that definitely today, but maybe at some point big men were always a little overvalued. 
Okay, so we talked a little bit about the 70s, how we'll remember it, and I guess you said partially we'll remember it for parody, um, a lack of a superstar. How do you think people will remember this decade that we're just coming out of now, 40 years from now? Just gen- generally, what will people think of first? I think they'll think of LeBron. I mean, LeBron has dominated basketball in the last decade more than anyone except possibly MJ in the 90s, 80s and 90s. And so I think it's LeBron's decade. Yeah, eight straight finals. I think he leads the decade in playoff points, assists, rebounds, and steals and games. <laughs> so he's, he's just a big part of our lives as NBA fans for the past decade. So, so ironically, the other major factor of the decade is, is what LeBron has not really been involved, and that is the three-point shooting. So LeBron's a great three-point shooter, there's no question about it. But he's not by any means a dominant three-point shooter, and three-point shooting is not a principal part of his game. And yet, the other factor of this decade has been the explosion in three-point shooting, both in, t- in terms of percentages, in terms of the number taken, in terms of the effect on the game and in terms of the range even beyond the three-point line. So yeah. so LeBron has managed to dominate this decade without having, certainly without dominating that particular skill that has taken over the NBA. Yeah. I will push back on that just a little bit, though. I think that in two ways he has been a little bit of a example for where the league is going. In one way, because... I think that he was one of the first players to really assist on a lot of threes and and do this thing where he drives and then kicks to a shooter. And the Heat would surround him with Battier, Mike Miller, Ray Allen, Chalmers. And and he sort of started this a little bit of what we see Harden and Luka doing now, where the offense is set around them, getting the basket, kicking out to shooters. And so I think that that was a little bit of something that LeBron started that's carried forward. And then another thing is he's probably the best scorer at the basket. And I think in this whole drive for efficiency that the Rockets have been spearheading something that gets lost. People talk about threes, threes, threes. The Rockets' strategy is not just threes. It's threes and layups and because those are the two most efficient shots. And I think LeBron is the best at layups in the league. And that drives his efficiency. He's a very efficient score. Okay, so let's move on to talking about some statistical trends that have happened over the course of this decade and, and really NBA history. So we're looking at this page on NBA reference, basketball reference, which is basically the holy grail for all websites. It's incredible. has all this data from NBA history. And we're looking at basically league averages, um, how many points, assists, rebounds the average team gets in a game or per 100 possessions and how that's changed over the years. So the thing that obviously jumps out to us first is there's this notion a lot of people have been talking about recently of an offensive explosion teams scoring a lot more points. You notice that if you just check the box scores, teams are scoring in the 110s, the 120s, much more regularly than they used to. And so looking at these stats, my first reaction was that this offensive explosion is a little bit overstated. The pace is a lot faster. About 10 years ago, there were around 90 possessions per team per game, and now we're up to 100 possessions. So that's a huge increase in pace. And the actual offensive rating, which is the number of points teams score per 100 possessions, has kind of stayed the same. It's been up a little bit. It's hovering around 106, 107 for most of the last 15 years. And then recently it's up to 108, 109. But it's not actually that changed. The lowest the NBA has gone recently in terms of offensive rating was the early 2000s 
there was this was before the hand checking rules. And so there the offensive ratings are a lot lower. But then once the league relaxes the hand checking rules in 05, the offensive rating jumps up to about 106 points per 100 possessions. And it's kind of stayed there for for most of the last 15 years. So this is just sort of a little monologue just pushing back against this notion that teams are so much better at offense than they were 10 years ago. I agree. And to the extent that we've seen improved offense, and particularly in the last four or five years, it it is a, caused by the increase in three-point shooting ability, which has exploded, particularly among the stretch fours and centers now who shoot threes, which never happened 10 years ago and only rarely happened even five years ago. And so if you take away the the extra three-point shooting and the higher three-point percentages, then the offensive explosion disappears. Yeah, and the, the field goal percentage you can see from, from the stats we're looking at is really stayed around 40, between 44 and 46%. It's the effective field goal percentage when you start counting threes is worth 50% more than twos. That's that's where the extra offense is coming from. Teams just, I don't know why it took so long for them to realize, hey, three is worth more than two, but now they have, and they're taking more threes. Uh, and that's, I agree with you, that's really what's driving it. I think another thing that's a little bit lost in this is just how much of the change has come in the last few seasons. So if you go back to 2000, 20 years ago, about 15 threes per 100 possessions are being taken. And then you go forward to 2015, we're up to 24. So significant increase, but it's an increase of less than 10 three-pointers. And then if you just look at the last five years, it's gone from 23 to 33. Um, a few more stats on threes that I think are interesting. I'm just talking about the different types of threes that are being taken. So unassisted threes were around 13 or 14% of all threes taken for most of this century. And then in the past decade, it sort of crept up from 13, 14 to the 17% range, which is where it's at now. And so I think that's interesting. I actually expected that increase to be more because I feel like I'm seeing a lot more off the dribble threes. But what, what, what does that stat show to you? I think it shows also the increasing skill level of players. When If, if you go back to my youth era of the 70s, very few players were skilled players. Very few players could <laughs> drive with both hands. Earl the Pearl Monroe was astounded the world because he could shoot a shot starting with his back to the basket. And take a turnaround. And then when he added that he could fake one way and turn the other way, people were flabbergasted. <laughs> and and now, you know, that sort of shot is even left behind with with the step back threes and the between the legs sideways round the back threes. And, and so the skill level has dramatically increased in the NBA and, and we see it in other areas too. But the offensive skill level has led to single players generating offense through their own particular skills. Yeah, and then just one more thing about the threes. The biggest increase has really been in deep threes versus any other type of outside shot. So deep threes, there were, in 2010, only four players took at least 50 27-footers, which makes sense. They're deep shots. I can't even reach the basket from that distance. I think people who haven't actually been on an NBA court don't realize how deep the NBA three-point line is. It's it's ridiculous. But uh, four players, and then in 2015, that number rose to seven. And then from 2015 to 2019, it went all the way up to 52 players who took 50 27-footers. And, and that, 
that three-point shooting, long-range three-point shooting is another result of the increased skill level and the increased practice level. I mean, players practice way more yeah. than they did in my era. And That's a good point. In, in my era, you know, we had, we had practices and an hour or two a day on the team, and that was it. Then you went home and you did your homework. <laughs> and now players go home and they go to the go to the gym after practice, or they have two a days or three a days, and they're working on skills almost twenty four seven. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fun. I think there are aspects of the increased three point shooting that make the game a little bit more monotonous. But I, th- I think the deep threes are really fun. Steph dribbles up and pulls up from thirty feet. The ball's just sort of sitting there in the air, and you're like, I can't, that can't possibly go in, and then. It does. A long arcing three point <laughs> shot that drops through nothing but net is a thing of beauty, no yeah. question about it. Um, a little bit more on the offense before we get to a few other trends. So the pace, I talked about how a lot of this offensive explosion is really your higher scoring, is really just driven by faster pace. I think something people don't realize though, which I was also pretty surprised by when I saw all these stats, but the pace is actually much slower now than it was in the sixties and seventies. Um, it's at a hundred, about a hundred possessions, uh, per game now in the sixties and seventies, it was up in the hundred, almost at 110, which is a lot faster, 10 possessions per game. Well, I think, I think the players did possibly run more. Maybe I'm, uh, I'm just, uh, stuck in the mindset that things were always better in the, in the old days, but I think players did run up the court more than they do now. A lot of plays are either fast breaks, transition baskets today, or players walking the ball up the court. And, and even after baskets, I think now people walk the ball up the court, players walk the ball up the court, and in, in the old days, they at least jogged up the court. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to put a little cap on the whole pace, three-point shooting movement here, the seven seconds or less suns that... You know, people talk about ushering in this pace and space era. Their fastest and most prolific three-point shooting season would rank last in the league this year in terms of both pace and three-point shooting. Question, actually, now that we're just, just before we move on to something else. Given that teams are shooting more threes, they're playing faster, players are more skilled, and the offensive rating or when I say offensive rating, as I, just to remind people, I mean points scored by each team per 100 possessions hasn't really increased that much. Does that mean that defenses are actually better than they used to be? People take the thinking that I mentioned a moment ago that all things were better in former days to extreme and the idea that, yeah, people used to play defense in basketball and no one plays defense anymore. I, I, don't, I don't see defense in that way. I think Players play hard defense now, and uh, players are more athletic, and athleticism helps on defense. It helps on offense, but I think it probably helps more on defense. And I think the NBA has a lot of defensive schemes for rotating players that uh, defense defenses didn't necessarily do as well back in the 70s or earlier periods. Okay, good. I, that's what I thought. I just really wanted to hear someone else say it, <laughs> especially someone older who had actually seen people play in the older eras. Um, let's move on quickly before we move on to our next segment. Let's just talk a little bit about a few other trends we noticed. You noticed that turnovers are down, um, which I think you're correct in assuming that that's just ball handlers being better and it's harder to take the ball from them. Yeah, I think the 
overall skill level, as we've mentioned, has soared in the NBA from when I was young and watching the NBA in the 70s and especially even in the 60s. And so, yes, turnovers are down because players handle the ball better. And big man centers who uh, had no skills for handling the ball now can bring the ball up court. Guard, point guards have equal ambidextrous skills both ways, left hand, right hand going both ways. And so you, you don't have the steals. The steals are down and the turnovers are down. You know, when, when I was growing up, the, the, the great uh, steel player, uh, Walt Frazier called Clyde because he could steal the ball so easily. Uh, he could pick anyone's pocket because largely because the ball handlers weren't any good. <laughs> and, and I don't mean to diminish Clyde in any ways, one of my heroes, but I don't think he would have the steals off the dribble today with the ball handlers today that he got in the 70s. My theory is that they didn't start recording steals as an official stat until 1973 because it would have just been too embarrassing for people before that. <laughs> yeah, all. I mean, you look at Bob Cousy, who was the greatest point guard of his era. He literally couldn't dribble with his left hand. He was basically Stanley <laughs> from the office. Um, free throws are down a little bit. Uh, if you look at the number of free throws per 100 possessions, it's high 20s, 28, 27 for most of the 90s. In the early 2000s, now it's down to... 22, 23, which is a pretty significant decline, about 20% in the number of free throws being taken per possession. So that might indicate to me that refs are actually just calling the game less tight than they used to, and they're allowing for more contact, despite this whole notion of decreased physicality, which I don't really know where that comes from, but what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I think quite the reverse. The physicality of the NBA has soared since my era. My, my era, basketball used to be known as a non-contact sport. <laughs> no one would consider basketball a non-contact sport now. The, the bad boy uh, Detroit Pistons of the 80s shocked everybody with the hard fouls they were committing and the physical defense, and that sort of play would is just run-of-the-mill in the NBA. And I think you've seen this reflected in the, the weight and musculature of the NBA players. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I was a kid and watching the NBA... They were all skinny guys. No one was pushing anyone else because they weren't strong enough to push anyone else. <laughs> now these guys are, they're like football player bruisers out there in the NBA. And the, the physicality in all aspects of the game has increased dramatically since the 70s and, and earlier eras. Yeah. Just, just to actually put a number on this weight thing that you're talking about. In 1980, the average weight of the NBA player was 203 pounds. Now it's 216. I think if you actually watch some of the old games, there's a lot of little ticky-tack fouls getting called. The, the one that I think of most strongly is the, the one from the 1988 finals that kept the Lakers in the series where Kareem turns to take a skyhook on the baseline and Lambier brushes up against his non-shooting shoulder. And there's a foul, and Lambier obviously reacts pretty strongly and starts arguing with the ref, but the announcers don't really react, and the crowd doesn't really act. It's like, oh, it's a foul. So he, he lightly touched him. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. The, the general physical play, pushing and shoving, has increased uh, even as the NBA has made steps somewhat successfully to bring the worst of the flagrant fouls under control. Okay, a few more statistical trends before we move on very quickly. The number of minutes that stars are playing has taken a significant decline recently. It was 34 players in 2010 who averaged at least 36 minutes. And now that's almost unheard of. It's down to six last I checked this season. So 
that's just smart. It's it's teams realizing that they don't want to overburden their stars with playing them too much during the season. But it's definitely a far cry from the days when Chamberlain averaged 48 and a half minutes a game one year because he just played all minutes, including overtime. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and it, it is just smarter management uh, of players' time and skills and, and lifespan. And you see the same effect among pitchers, for example, in baseball. When, when I was young, pitchers, by and large, pitched nine innings, 120, 130 pitches, and maybe you brought in a closer for the ninth inning, or maybe you didn't because lots of pitchers finish games. And we have realized, we've become smarter, and we've realized that that sort of pitching burns out great pitchers, burns out any kind of pitcher. Yeah, I think, and, and something that we discussed a little before recording was the burden on stars, I think, has increased recently. And so I looked at the, we, we pointed out that turnovers overall were down, but Westbrook, Harden, and LeBron, I believe, were the top three in turnovers this decade by a significant margin over everyone else. But those three each recorded more turnovers in a decade than any other player has ever had in NBA history, which I think my takeaway from that is that there is an emergence of the ball-dominant star who has to do everything on offense and therefore has a lot of turnovers just because they're doing everything and they have the ball in their hands so much. And so you can't play those guys 45 minutes a game if if they're going to be doing everything on offense. I think we do have a general trend shift in NBA basketball to offenses that are geared on the outstanding skill sets of particular players. Not just those three, but plenty of other players in the league are dominating the initiation of the offense in ways that didn't happen back in the 70s when when I was a kid watching. And teams played much more team ball, frankly. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but in, in my day, the players didn't have the skill sets to be able to for an, for an individual player to be able to initiate the offense, and now they do. Thank you for listening to 2010 BA. It really does mean a lot to me that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed that, definitely check out part two of this podcast. I hope you have a great new year and a great decade.